Welcome to Private Club Radio, the industry's first and only program dedicated to education, news, events, trends and announcements. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Happy 4th of July to you. Hope you enjoyed some fireworks and got a little time to break free from the club to enjoy with your family and friends. A very special guest today on Private Club Radio, we're joined by Bill McMahon of the McMahon Group. I learned from Bill that their recent survey found club member satisfaction has basically doubled since 2011, which is some really great news to hear. So we're going to find out why that's the case from him today. We'll get into trends in facilities and in capital improvement projects, and we're going to pick Bill's brain, who's been doing this for a very long time, on what he thinks is coming down the road for the private club industry. All that and more when we return. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Shade Creative, the premier marketing and design firm, helping prestigious clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit shaketampa.com to learn more. Why do over 60% of Boardroom Magazine's distinguished clubs choose to partner with Club Essential? The better question is, why not? As the leading provider of club management and marketing software to over 1,400 private clubs, our unified suite of modules are designed to automate club operations while informing and engaging members. From websites to accounting and POS to CRM, online reservations, and mobile apps, Club Essential has all of your club's technology needs covered. Visit clubessential.com to learn how our experienced team can help your club. Again, that's clubessential.com. Well, I'm happy to be joined today by Bill McMahon, Senior Chairman of the McMahon Group. Mr. McMahon is an operational, financial, and architectural planning consultant to clubs throughout North America. He established the McMahon Group in 1983 as an affiliate of the family architectural firm his grandfather founded in 1906. Over the ensuing years, the firm has expanded its club consulting services beyond clubhouse improvement planning to a full range of services for all aspects of private club challenges. To date, the firm has assisted more than 1,900 private clubs across the United States, Canada, Asia, Europe, and the Caribbean. Mr. McMahon is a graduate of Washington University School of Architecture in St. Louis and holds architecture licenses in 43 U.S. states and in Ontario, Canada. He is a featured author in industry publications and has been a featured speaker at the annual conferences for the CMAA, the Canadian Society of Club Managers, the NCA, and the Hospitality, Financial, and Technology Professionals. He also serves as a visiting lecturer at continuing education sessions offered by regional CMAA chapters and at Michigan State University. Bill is the co-author of McMahon's Club Trends, the comprehensive research reports on strategic issues facing private clubs. Mr. McMahon is a member of the American Institute of Architects, the Ontario Association of Architects, and the National Club Association, and he is a former president of the Missouri Council of Architects. Bill, welcome to Private Club Radio. Well, thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here and talk about issues that are affecting our club industry. Absolutely. Well, Bill, you provided me a statistic from a recent survey you conducted, which found that club members who claimed they were very satisfied with their membership experience has increased from 27% in 2011 to 49% in 2016. That's a big increase. What do you think is causing this upward trend in member satisfaction? Well, Gabe, I, I, what we are finding is, is that in that five-year period after the Great Recession, clubs have really gone into tackling their, their, their issues as such as facility improvements and dining 
and all the areas that really matter to members. And, and the general managers have really made a, a serious, uh, really a uh, tremendous impact on improving their club operations as well as getting their facilities improved. And so when you see that type of increase, uh, you know that the clubs are doing many things very well. And, and this, is a, uh, this is a random sampling of surveys that we do from clubs as they hire us all across the country that we're seeing this kind of a trend increase. I think also, you have to be realistic here, is that that last five years, from 11 to 16, you know, those years, we have had a good economy. In the, so people are happy. You know, members are happy with their club. The clubs are better. They're spending money. They're allowing those facilities to be greatly improved over what was really sort of a hiatus of improvements that they were not doing during the Great Recession in those years of 8, 9, and 10. 2008, 9, and 10. So right. a lot of things are coming together to make that happen. So um, what sort of facilities and upgrades are you seeing clubs take on these days? Well, the, the, the most interesting factor in what's driving clubs, not only in their improving their satisfaction, but also they're, they're gaining more members and initiation fees are starting to rise a bit, is a real focus on improvements to facilities and programs in the non-golf areas. Uh, but what we found is, and we still find, is that the golf courses are really being delivered at a very high quality level. Uh, but it, but the next generation of members joining clubs today are really not joining for clubs like their fathers and grandfathers did. They're joining for the non-golf activities of good casual dining, swimming, family recreation areas, um, you know, good programs for children, summer camps. Those clubs that are doing those programs are basically uh, attracting members and, and getting a much more higher satisfaction level because of all those types of things that are being provided. Yeah, I was uh, recently down in, in Boca Raton, Florida. I was speaking to the local chapter of the PCMA there, and I saw the trend you're talking about. So just about every club was undergoing a major renovation of some kind, whether it was re- redesigning their golf course, creating a new spa and wellness facility, or renovating their clubhouse. Is this a trend that you're seeing in other parts of the country, or is it just limited to Florida? No, well, actually, it, no, it's all across the country because we work in basically 42 different states in, in, in the union, as well as up in Canada, and it's pretty predominant throughout that the that the issues of improving the non-golf facilities are having a great result, and I think also the issue that's important in the last five years has been kind of a refocus on what women want in clubs. You know, historically, our clubs have been more of a male bastion, you know, whether it's a city club or a country club, it was the man who joined. And in today's world, if you want to be successful, if you don't uh, provide what women want in the club as, as, as a working woman, but also as a mother with children, um, the clubs will suffer. And so in that last five-year period, there's been a real focus on getting her the kind of country club that she wants. And as a result, we're getting members because of it. So... Let's take, you know, XYZ Club, for instance. You know, it's a club that maybe historically was just a golf club. It was mostly men. If you're going to consult a club like that, just completely golf-focused, they probably had a poker night, a cigar night, or something like that, but you really want to bring in the women and the children, what types of facilities would you focus on or would you consult clubs to look at actually bringing on to sort of attract those women and children to the club? Well, the areas... Gabe, that are most important for building a, a strong non-golf dimension. Now, and when I say that, doesn't mean we do anything less for golf. The golf is still a signature offering the club has, and it's still provided a very high quality level. But in addition to that, we would add um, the, the pool, swimming pool, recreation facility, the tennis program, uh, you know, those types of areas uh, that, that appeal to family 
and then also having very good casual family dining areas in the club. Uh, you know, the, the old old time clubs with basically more formal activity spaces, a men's grill, which I'm not against men's grill, but both work for that particular segment of the original population of clubdom. But this new generation of members are looking for, uh, you know, a more relaxed environment for all aspects of the family. Most of the country clubs that we see today, of course, are not just golf only. There's a, there's few, there are a few clubs that are totally golf focused and have no other facilities. In our opinion, those clubs are going to be in trouble unless they're Augusta or one of the majors, you know, major like a Wingfoot or a Balsas Roll. But the general country club that is, has a major golf focus but has an inferior pool, inferior tennis, um, and really no no real family casual dining areas, those are the clubs that basically, if they do not improve their non-golf facility, they're going to go out of business. They're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. They have got to do and offer a much broader sector in addition to their golf that they're going to be successful today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've had a lot of guests on the show. They've talked about some of these new activities that clubs are bringing into the the space. I've heard uh, things like bocce, pickleball. I'd like to get your take on what you think are sort of some of these new upcoming next generation of capital improvement or facility trends. In your opinion, what's coming down the road, Bill? Well, it, it's interesting. You mentioned bocce and pickleball. And another one you might put in that category would be croquet. And those are facilities, believe it or not, that are really more targeted towards our more senior member to retain them so that as they age, they can't play maybe 18 holes of golf like they could and did before, you know. And so we're providing those kinds of activities to retain them as membership. And incidentally, uh, funny enough, but the youngsters like those too. Uh, they're, they're kind of fun where we get both generations together on the courts and things like that. Right. The other area that, that's important, I think, is and what I see as kind of a thing in the future is I call it the Starbucks for clubs. In other words, if you look at a Starbucks today, it's sort of a cyber lounge in a community that's sitting into a shopping center. It's always jammed with people, you know. And as a result, the clubs need to have that kind of a place, too, a place where if you have nothing else to do, you, you, you can get a cup of coffee. It's very casual. It's dressed down. Good fitness facility is almost a part of that. So when you come to work out, you go to the Starbucks-type cabinet, you know, type of hangout kind of a lounge area, you work out. And then you come back to that area, and the real socializing in clubs now is going to be done in this very casual kind of cyber lounge area that's part of almost part of your fitness offering, uh, a lounge for fitness that serves all members, all categories. Uh, very important space, I think, for the future clubs to make it a place to hang out. Um, it's, it, it, you know, it's sort of like that. There's that book a fellow wrote that it was about the third place, you know, and the real proponent of that is the first place, of course, is your home. The second place is your work. But the third place is when you're not at the other two, what do you do with life? And a private club should be that place. It should be the third place for members of all ages to hang out, to have fun together, and to really have a social experience that you would not have otherwise. That's probably the most important area we think the clubs are going to have to have in the future. I agree with that for sure. Uh, we had Jackie Carpenter on our show, and she mentioned that concept as well, which I thought was really wonderful. How does a club decide what's just a trend? Like maybe, you know, I'm not saying pickleball in particular, but, you know, how do we differentiate between a trend and a fad and something that will be a long-lasting feature of the club, in your opinion? Well, like, you know, like you can look in clubs and look at the outside society. You know, back about 30, 40 years ago or whatever, we had, remember bowling? how popular bowling was, and then yeah. it, it cycled down. And bowling is still popular, you know, but not like it was. And, and then tennis went through that craze. And then, quite frankly, golf has gone through that craze and is now the latest casualty 
it's still a great sport and we still participate. So you're going to have recreation, new ideas for recreation phase into clubdom, just like it is in the outside society. And, and, and so it, it's really not so much the individual sport as it is the, the, the idea of, of recreation uh, that's targeted at certain you know groups of people that make it fun. And, and that's like another good example up in the north a bit is this uh, paddle tennis type activity that mm-hmm. in, the, in the club areas like in Chicago and Minneapolis and even in St. Louis where we're from, um, a lot of winter, you kind of make these clubs more year round. And so we provide fitness, we provide the, uh, what we call paddle, which is played outdoors in the snow and stuff like that, you know, all on a raised platform and it's a lot of fun. And these are sports that everybody can participate in. And you'll find the same thing with bocce, you know, that everybody can participate, man and woman, basically. That brawn is not the game. It's, it's really skill. These different skill sets will continue to develop, as we see. Pickleball is a, great, is a lot of fun game, too, you know, from the viewpoint of, uh, you know, not as strenuous on people. And, again, doesn't require the tremendous skills that golf might require or even that a good hard tennis game would require. It's much easier for everybody to play, children, mom, dad, everybody. So I think it's not going to be so much the individual sports. They'll phase in and out. It will be just new ideas will be coming up that, you know, everybody likes to try something new and it hangs on for maybe five or 10 year period. And then a new group comes in with some new idea. Uh, and probably the, the other one that's probably most dynamic we're seeing in the club world. And most clubs now have adopted it. And that is the area of, uh, you know, the fitness facility. You know, first it was just a cardio space. Excuse me, David. And then it was basically adding the classrooms and Pilates and different yoga and that. And that those areas today continue to grow. And it was maybe the cardio was the whole thing in the old days. Now it's a whole different set of fitness programs that are taking over, displacing what was popular. Uh, you know, so you, you can see it's just continually evolving. Uh, the nice thing about a lot of these things like pickleball, bocce, and even croquet, these are not big expenditures to put in. You know, these are fun games. Uh, they're much more social recreation, and sometimes, like with bocce, in one hand you have a ball, in the other hand you have a drink. You know, uh, and <laughs> right. it makes it a very social game. And everybody sure. in croquet is sort of the same way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm heading to the Westmore Club later this summer, and you have you have to wear your all whites when you play croquet. I'm looking forward to doing that. If they'll let me, <laughs> I think that's a fun yeah. game. Now, people's time, of course, is they're they're very limited, and you know you're competing with so many different entertainment options out there. What sort of ways do clubs need to evolve to meet that new um, psychology that's out there prevalent in the world? Well, I think the first area, of course, is the area that's most important for most members in all clubs, and that's the dining offering. The idea of quick, casual dining it means good food. But it isn't, they don't want to, today members are not looking for a two hour dining experience or even a one hour, quite frankly. You know, they're looking for a quick casual experience, especially these younger families with their children, uh, you know, to encourage that. Outdoor dining, obviously, extremely popular. Uh, but it's, it's taking effect of the time factor of uh, the sports that, that basically let that happen. Now, and golf is probably one of the best examples of how this is working today. And that is more people practice golf than play golf. That's a factor of time. Right. Nobody has four to five hours to play those rounds and then an hour or two afterwards. That's a seven hour. It could be a seven hour day. Uh, and, and when your time is very precious to begin with, with travel and raising family and you know kids in soccer camps and all that. So the, the practice aspect like of golf is really important uh, from the viewpoint of, of building. If you want to build a strong golf program, you better have a strong, very strong practice program. 
That even gets into having these little par three courses that we're putting in clubs now, in addition to the big 18. And we're getting tremendous use from those from all different groups of the club. Uh, even the old timers like it because they'll have a little betting contest out there on the par three to see who can win, you know, yeah. and they can, and they can sell their bets in maybe a half hour rather than in five hours. <laughs> sure. So I think that the time factor is definitely an issue, uh, but it's up to the club to provide a good enough product that people will spend the time there, that they feel that that's a worthwhile use of their time, as opposed to, you know, the traditional, if I got to play 18 holes of golf and it's really kind of a long day or, or the issue of a long meal in a club and stuff like that, that's the people don't have time for that anymore. Exactly. Uh, I think the practice facility also has another dual purpose because you get people more involved with the game. If you get them out there practicing and better at it, they'll feel more comfortable on the course and, and, and hopefully, la- uh, you know, hold on and keep playing the game for, for years to come. Well, I, I agree with you, Gabe, because like I have a daughter who's 35, so she's at the very top end of the millennials, you know, and they talk about the millennials aren't playing golf and all that. Well, that's not necessarily true. She couldn't afford a club, and now she finally can, but uh, she loves golf. You know, she never played golf in her life. She grew up in my club, Belleville, in St. Louis, but never really played golf when it, was, when it was there at all the time for her. But the results now are with these kids and stuff like that. They're, they love the game, and the more they practice, the better she gets. When she gets out on the course, the better she scores, the more she plays. You know, so it, it, the practice is getting better, getting us better golfers who will then have more long-term golfers as a result. Excellent. Excellent. So with all these changes, the way we communicate with, with, with our members is changing as well. And some clubs are even reaching back to some older means of communication. Can you sort of tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, it's sort of interesting in the great recession to save money in 2008, nine and 10, many clubs uh, forgotten or eliminated a printed newsletter. And we would go into a club and find that uh, the membership didn't know what was going on. Yeah, they put the newsletter online, but they did not communicate with their members because people don't read a 12-page newsletter online. And so what we have found is that we've, and almost all these clubs now, they've gone back to a printed newsletter. <clears throat> but it, it, in regards to making people aware of what's happening, we find at least a half of a membership basically will read a newsletter Whereas when, you know, when you just put it online, you have maybe about 10 or 15% reading it. You know, right. you, you don't read a, a newsletter online. You, you look, you'll, you'll basically look and, uh, you know, take an email blast. If I play golf and it's a tee time open, I might answer that. But if, if you're asking me to read something that long, it won't happen. Right. And so this has been a real change back to, you know, sort of back to the future. Well, I'm with you on that one. It's not just because my company does uh, printed newsletters. <laughs> That's funny. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about your publication, which is Club Trends. It's a wonderful one that I read. It comes out every quarter. Uh, it's co-authored with the National Club Association. Can you tell folks a little bit about Club Trends and what sort of things that you're talking about and discussing and why they should be reading it? Well, I, I think what's important about Club Trends is it was an effort both the National Club Association and ourselves each published separate editions of this type of a, of a document. And so we came together as a group to really put our, our joint forces. Uh, and and we, what we'll do with our club trends is we do a pulse surveys before those every quarter. And then from those pulse surveys and we identify issues, then we address those in the uh, trends publication itself. And we've been able to, you know, focus on things that managers and the board members felt were important to them. 
uh, whether it's uh, communications or facility. I think we have one coming up uh, in the near future on uh, you know facility improvements. The one we just had out now is on communications. And we have a lot of good articles in there about what's happening in the club industry. We also have one like on the dining program, one coming up on that. So we try to take the major issues that are facing clubs and, and throw a lot of really good research at it to give give man, you know the member board members as well as the managers some good background information so they can keep in, you know keep up in touch with what's going on. In tracking these club trends and conducting some of the surveys and, and industry data that you're gathering, what's been the most surprising information that you guys are learning? Well, that's a good one. Uh, I think it's the issue of, I have to say, the education factor on dining is probably the biggest issue we face today. In that, you know, in the club world, when we ask uh, you know, club managers uh, how good their food program is, and dining, incidentally, is almost always the number one thing in importance to members. Even even a great golf club like mine at Bell Reeve, uh, once you're in there, for all members, meaning men and women, uh, dining will be more important than golf, and that's pretty true universally across the country. And Bell Reeve's a U.S. Open site, you know. Right. So what we're finding out, though, is that the perception of food by the management team is providing it. They think that between 70 and 80 percent of the, of the team, of the managers, feel that their club is providing uh, the food product that their membership wants. But when we survey the members now, the customer themselves, we find out that 90% of the club's members want their club to be one of their favorite places to dine, but only about 41 or 42% of them say it actually is, which is really sort of interesting. So that the operating team is thinking they're delivering the promise, but the customer says they are not. Yeah, do you, you know, know why, and, why they feel that way? Well, I, I, yeah, well, obviously we do in the context of when we survey a club membership, we usually find there's issues with, uh, the biggest issue with the club food program is the consistency level. You know, when the chef is there, the food is great. When the chef is not there because he can't work 24 hours a day, mm-hmm. the second team or the third team uh, does not deliver the same product. Uh, so the, I say consistency of food quality is probably the biggest challenge. And then consistency of service, you know, so that while they have good programs, the problem is you've got you to deliver that level of quality every time. You know, to get it through. So those are the probably the two areas where clubs struggle the most. And then, then the other one is, of course, menu variety. Uh, for the most part, the chefs have the ability to deliver the quality, and, and they're sort of the artists. But the important thing we have found in clubs is that having a great chef does not guarantee good food. What what guarantees good food is a partnership between the chef and the general manager. In other words, the general manager understands the culture of the club. And the chef is, is this artist. He can do all kinds of things, you know, and that type of thing. But a lot of times, you know, members aren't looking for what I call foo-foo food. You know what I mean? They're looking for basic good food that's kind of indigenous to the area. So if you're on the East Coast, along the you know, the ocean, lobster and fish, shell, shellfish and food would, that is coming from the sea would be important. Right. If you're in Omaha, Nebraska, it might be, you know, beef and things like that. So it's so important that the manager kind of set the tone for the chef on what kind of food this club should have. Uh, and that's something a lot of times that doesn't happen. Sure. And so you get, then you get that disconnect between the member and the, and the food program. And, and then you get that dissatisfaction. I'm going to ask you a question. That's going to be definitely just your opinion. It's, it's certainly a subjective answer. I think should uh, the food and beverage be considered a loss leader for the club or, or should it be driving revenues, to the club in, in your opinion, which way do you see that working better? 
Well, the dining program in, in, in a club is, is in fact, nothing in a club makes money, and it should. Uh, that's why we have dues. The, the dining is basically is an, is an amenity. It's at the service level to the member that they want a certain quality level, and they're willing to spend that and money to, to make that happen. Um, and so it should never be looked upon as a profit source. Uh, yes, we do have banquets, and banquets can be somewhat profitable, you know, to have, but we don't want to get, we don't never want to turn a club into a banquet hall uh, in the context of suddenly the members can't get in their club because the parking lot's filled with a whole bunch of strangers. And also you can trigger tax problems if you get too much outside revenue. So, I mean, the idea with food is to give members the quality of food they want. And, and the goal is to try to break it even, you know, in that regard. And, but the important thing is quality over quantity, quality over everything. You know, it's the quality that's important in the club. So we never want our clubs to be approaching their food program as a profit source or as an income source, because if you do, then the tail starts wagging the dog and we start driving money and revenue. And we and to do that, of course, you have to have less service, poor quality raw product that goes into the food. You can see what happens. So definitely it should not be, we should not be looked upon as an income source. It should be basically just like the golf. We don't make money on golf, tennis, swimming, and we should not make money on our dining program, but it, since it's the most important thing to the members, it better be the thing we do best. And as you can see from my numbers that we see, that you know, 90% of members say it should be one of their favorite restaurants, and only about 42% say it is. We can see we're not necessarily hitting the ball out of the park here. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely upping the consistency of both the the way the food is prepared and service is the way to do that, it sounds like. That it is, you know, and, and then offering, too, making sure you're offering that very casual offering. In other words, the more casually offering, the more use it gets in a club. And so if we get into a very formal environment or a very formal menu, you're, in today's world, you're going to have a very limited group of members that really want that. Right. And then getting back to the time, it, it, that, that casual atmosphere lends itself to being able to catch a quick bite and, and move along in your day. So I think that's a great point there. Sure. Um, now, of course, you have an architectural background. Um, I'm interested, just um, when I was a kid, one of my dreams in life was to become an architect, believe it or not. <laughs> it didn't happen, but uh, I, I'm sort of into it. So from an architectural standpoint, what trends in terms of design style do you see out there right now? Is Are people sticking with you know, when they're doing renovations, going to a real modern look, are more clubs sticking with the traditional? What do you see happening? Well, it's almost always a traditional, almost what I would call an indigenous uh, type of style that's, that's to that locale. So that if we're working in Florida, it might be more of a Spanish look, or if we're in uh, Williamsburg or around, let's say, in Virginia, you know, have that kind of a, a colonial feel. Up in the east, you might have where I am right now in Boston. You might have a little different character, but it's really indigenous to the area. Very few of these clubs are contemporary, um, and and like in, in doing, we've we've done over nineteen pushing two thousand total projects. Um, only about of those projects, I could count probably on both hands maybe the new clubhouses. So maybe ten out of two thousand projects are brand new buildings. So they're almost all renovations of a, of an architecture that's usually pretty good. And so you want to keep in the spirit of the original architect, just like you do on a golf course. If you have, you know, Trent Jones do your course, and, and you, then you probably want Reese or his other son basically to do the renovation. So you want to keep the spirit of the original architecture alive. 
because that that architecture, take a wingfoot architecture or something like that for that clubhouse. That's to me, that's as important almost as the, as the character of those golf courses. Sure. And you, when, when a member looks at comes into wingfoot, you look at that building and you just say, I love it. You know, it's just it's just part of me. And, and if they would put a modern box there as a contemporary piece of architecture, uh, well, they would never do it. It would be a complete aversion to that. So I, I think it, I mean, it's funny that you say that because, uh, I mean, I'm an architect and my grandfather was you know, 100 years ago. But it is a fun profession. And, and, it, and the real fun of it is not only planning the buildings to a function well, but it's to keep the character and style of the building alive, you know, in, in whatever you do. That we don't put modern boxes on top of uh, beautiful uh, buildings like Wingfoot and Baltusrol. I like that approach. Uh, I do the same thing when I'm when I'm rebranding a club from the from the logo and, and design wise. We want to keep the original tradition and heritage of the club. So uh, I like that answer a lot. Last question for you: You've of course worked with over 1,900 clubs, as we mentioned. We call this question the bucket list. So if, if there's one club that our listeners need to see before they die, for you, Bill, what would that club be? It would probably be, believe it or not, Wellesley Country Club in the Boston area. It's probably the, it's a club that was formed many years ago. Uh, you know, they, and they actually are one of the maybe 10 or 12 projects that we've done that has a new clubhouse. We actually renovated the 1830 building until we couldn't renovate it anymore. But it is probably in the Boston market, uh, and, and in the country as a whole, one of the most innovative projects that I've seen in the club world today. Uh, with with the things that we've done with it, and then the other club that's probably, in my opinion, the the best planned club from day one, because Wellesley was basically originally a poor farm. They added a golf course around it, but the one club that was master planned from day one, totally, was basically my club in St. Louis, and, and we did we weren't the architect, uh, but it, it was a Bellevue Country Club where they basically moved from North City to a West County location in about the 1950s. And on 300 acres, they put, you know, a, a golf course that has U.S. Opens and stuff like that. And everything is really done in the most manner. But the thing you get into, Gabe, is how many times in life do you get a blank sheet of paper with an unlimited amount of funds yeah, right. to basically do it? See, and then that club had that. And, and remember, they took farmland and turned it into the golf course. And you could have had on 300 acres, you could have had two golf courses. Sure. You know, but, but we only had one. But, but it, from the clubhouse, the tennis, the swimming, to the paddle, to the croquet, it's all there. You know, so those are those two clubs, in my opinion, are the two best clubs in the country from the viewpoint of their facilities. I also like those clubs personally, too. But, but I'm just talking about facilities, you know. Sure. sure. Well, I'm glad. That's a great perspective to have. That was an excellent answer. I appreciate that. Well, how do find, folks find out more about the McMahon Group and about you? Oh, well, you, probably the best way is to go on the Internet. and You can, you know, uh, look us up there. We will see our... Uh, list of clients and projects and services that we do. You know, we, you know, we started as more of a facility firm and then I got into surveys and now strategic planning and now food and beverage consulting. So we, we our, our goal was to be that full service club consultant for uh, our club industry, you know, and, but, but at the same time, it's sort of interesting. Well, I'm an architect and I serve as an architect. Uh, so an independent architect on the outside for a firm, we do not do end product architecture. We are kind of a real proponent of using local architects to do our work once we get them designed and approved. Uh, so, um, you know, so we're always interested in, in continuing to serve the industry. And uh, at any one time, just like right now, we have about 50 projects going all across the, this great nation of ours. And you do a lot of traveling. So just for listeners, the website is mcmahongroup.com, 
mcmahongroup.com. Check it out and learn a little bit more about Bill and his wonderful team they have there. Bill, thank you so much for being on Private Club Radio. You were a great guest to have. Thank you so much, Gabe. It's my pleasure. Bye-bye now. A few announcements before I leave you for the week. First off, want to remind you that we have the Marketing to Millennials webinar happening. If your club's looking for younger members, I'm going to give you all the tips and tricks that I know, all the hacks and all the information that you need to know to bring in those younger members. You got one more week to get your 25% discount for being a private club radio listener. Just simply use the code PCR25 at checkout. PCR, of course, stands for Private Club Radio. You get 25% off. The webinar is happening on July 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and I hope to see you there. Second, if you have a question and you would like to participate in the show and actually be on this show, you can be on with me and Rick Coffey of Club Essential on July 25th. To participate, simply ask your question by going to privateclubradio.com slash inbox and leaving Rick and I a voicemail. We will answer your question, as long as it's a good one, on the show on July 25th. By the way, if you haven't heard the inbox presented by Club Essential yet, check out last week's episode and listen in. Once again, it's privateclubradio.com slash inbox. Leave us a voicemail and get on this show. Until next week, here's to your membership success. Just because this round is over doesn't mean you can't enjoy the 19th hole. Check out privateclubradio.com for more.